Good morning, everyone. This is July 17th, the Sunday. Here live for Leather and Limits, episode four, Everyone Gets Drop. Um, real quick, for those that are listening in, the chalkboard is where we answer questions for those that want to bring one up. Just to make sure we have that in there. And with me today is Miss Knox. Hello. And joining us for the first time, Mr. Devil. Good morning. Welcome to us, good Evening. sir. I think all of those apply. Uh, depending on which part of the world you're in, they always do. <laughs> five o'clock somewhere. This is also true. I would love it to be five o'clock somewhere, but then we wouldn't be able to figure this out right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I probably wouldn't be online, but that's besides the point. Moving on. <laughs> so drop. Oh. Probably one of the most important features of our lifestyle. If one that shouldn't come up any more than it absolutely has to. That's true. Everybody gets dropped. They really do. Of course, it sounds like an 80s rap song. I mean, <laughs> that too. <laughs> I mean, Everybody gets dropped. Dropped. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> mm, drop. That sounds more like a primal takedown system than anything else, but that could still be fun. But that's oh, for of another day. <laughs> <laughs> you can still get dropped from that too, so very true. Very true. I I think one of the first things I really want to point out is that one of the things I find fascinating is tops definitely get as much drop as bottoms do, as far as frequency goes. And it's not talked about the same way. And I know you and I, Knox, have talked about this before because we're big fans of Dom Health and all of that and the things that people don't talk about. Mm-hmm. But it's I find it interesting because I think part of the reason that a lot of people don't talk about it as often is top drop doesn't always hit as severely as bottom drop does in terms of intensity, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen or can't be. And I think people don't realize that. I think it just hits different as far as timing. Like typically subs will drop, like in my experience, subs drop faster immediately once the scene stops. Tops will drop like the next day. Very it's not the day so after that. Immediate. Or even the day after that, mm-hmm. right? It's happened to me that way, absolutely, where it's a day and a half mm-hmm. later, and it's like, wait, why do I feel like this now? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like I got hit by a bus, and I don't know what happened, because I hit that bitch with a bus. <laughs> that's that's actually pretty accurate, as a matter of fact. That happens when you have three sadists in the uh, talking. I mean, also true. Now we just want to go hit somebody with a bus, thanks. <laughs> don't give me ideas. We're just getting started. <laughs> All right. We don't start with a bus. We start with a Volvo. Come on. <laughs> and then you work up to the sob. There you go. The bus is a Volvo. <laughs> I mean, okay, that's valid. <laughs> I'm glad Devil caught that. Thank you. Oh, that was a beautiful thing. Yes. No. Um. No, I've absolutely had a case where it's it's been like a day and a half, almost two days, and then it's like, why do I feel like this? Oh, right. I beat the tar mm-hmm. out of someone a couple of days ago. It just took mm-hmm. a minute to catch up. But I think that's so part is, of the reason. So what does your drop feel like? Mine tends to be extremely – it's very much a combination of depression and, for lack of a better way to put it, pure lethargy. Like it will very much be like mm-hmm. every – Every nerve ending in my body just went dead. Like everything is exhausted for no reason whatsoever. And it'll be out of nowhere. I could be riding at caffeine high and pumping away at whatever. And poof, 
it is like getting hit by like a bus. I can't describe it another way, where I'm just complete ennui about everything. And that doesn't happen to me yeah. normally at all, so it stands out very strongly. Yeah, I know. I don't drop every single time. But when I do, it's it's pretty intense. Like, I'll have... It's almost like when you have the flu. You just feel run down. Everything's kind of achy. You're mopey. Yeah. Can't really put your finger on why. You're just kind of like, bleh. And I'll I'm like that, that for like a good day and a half. Like, it'll... It usually takes me a, a, at least a solid day for that to kind of go past. Agreed. And that's if you're taking care of it, technically. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're not able to take care of it immediately. My last major drop hit was at work. Yeah, oh. that's rough. That's really rough. That's brutal. I've had that happen to me in my 20s, and that just, it sucks. Because there's nothing you can do till the work shift is over. Like, you can't go to your boss, hi. So I need to go and, like, take an hour nap. <laughs> is that okay? <laughs> I'm going to take a lap. I'll be back. Pretty much. The last one was a struggle, boss. A few months or so. Oh, I'm sure. How long does your drop last? Well, I was at work. But it hit me maybe 20 minutes after I got to work, and I was there all day. Jeez. I'm not too proud. I'll totally burn a sick day over something like that. If I'm yeah, able. if I could have. Could have if I would have. I think it's worth it. I mean, because honestly, you kind of need that chance to recharge. I mean, it's and it's so funny because, you know, and when when you're on that left side of the slash, like we always tell subs, like, oh, make sure you hydrate, eat something, <laughs> maybe watch a movie. And then when we talk to each other, we're like, the fuck is wrong with you? No, that's not right? wrong. It's really not wrong. Sometimes we need to take our own advice with that as well. We need to stay hydrated. We need to make sure we eat something mm-hmm. and a place to relax. I, what, what are your go-to things to do for yourself besides relaxing? Well, for me, it's usually I will watch something funny, try to keep my mind basically focused and centered on what's going on. I keep myself aware so I know when it's coming. I know if it's coming. I start to feel the, bu- the muscle aches and the body aches because mine, I do tend to slide. Well. Mm. Will dep- I will get quite into a depressed state. I can so see that. I do watch it because, yeah, I mean, depressive states are. But I always try to remember very self aware to what my body's doing, how my body's doing, and is doing, or my questions are lying within my head because I ask a lot of questions. Usually right. they're just to myself, but I'm asking a lot. I tend to play the scenes over and over again, looking for places I may have gone too far, or you know, that's when the. When actually starts to hit. Did I go too far there? Did I you break consent there? Did I, you know? No, I, I think that's that. a good point. Because I think the other thing, too, is like as a sadist, I think drop does affect us a little differently depending on how we're playing. Very it's not, true. not so much the intensity, right? Because the intensity of a scene varies from person to person. And you can do the same activity two or three times and one will be more intense than the other. Absolutely, but I think by far. Right. And I think as sadists, especially, the play tends to be a little more psychological as well. Yes. So I wonder if that doesn't just make it, it like compounds it, right? That's probably why it hits us so differently, too, actually. Like, I'm sure some mm-hmm. psychoanalyst is capable of like deeping, deep diving on that. And I'm not capable of that. I won't pretend I am. But I have no doubt it's got to be related because, I mean... It's more physically related for most submissives because, you know, you're literally beating the tar out of them, especially if it's super intense and you're cutting them open or letting them on fire or whatever. So there's <laughs> physical trauma involved on some level physically. 
Sure. Whereas for us, that's definitely obviously not part of the package. It's the other end of it. So yeah. this is definitely more psychological. I've always found mine was. Okay. Yeah, they are intense, and we get fairly physical, especially because of my scenes will go a bit more to get physical. Mm-hmm. So even on the point of it, I'm not the one who's taken the beating, so to speak. I, you know, being impacted with hands or paddles or flogs or whatever else is around to grab, being tied down and choked, or else isn't told with what is happening. I'm just the one inflicting it, causing the mental mind fuck as I go through it as well. Yeah, I always do tend to take a step back after it. Almost immediately that I do start to the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. No, it that does. makes total sense. Really, though, I think that's part of the reason that it, it flies under the radar so hard. Because I mean, again, it's you know we talk about all the time that doms don't even talk to each other about dom health. Like it's it's very much more like a frat boy system of you know, oh, suck it up, Buttercup, you'll be fine. And I get why we're like that. It's the nature of what we are and what we do and everything. It, it really is, but. It doesn't change that those the, the negative capacities that we deal with are so not infrequent, but few and far between by comparison. But I think that means they're just that much more important to make sure that everyone is on the same page about them, even if we, you know, joke about them when we're just hanging out, so to speak, as a group of the thing. I don't think, I think it should it's... be discounted. Well, no, it should never be discounted, but I, I think there's like a couple things that play with that when you're talking about the top side of drop, because like I found that, and like you're saying, especially with male dominance, um, you have a lot of that machismo and that bravado, and you don't find a lot of male doms that have other male doms to lean on, but it's Very different true. in the, the female dominance space. Um, woman dominance tend to have some kind of a network, even if it's, you know, that girl pack, you know, whatever it is, like you, I found that dames tend to click up, you know, so it's, that makes sense. we will check in with each other like the next day. Like I've got, I've got two go-tos, um, one of which is a sadist, one of which is not. And I go to both of them equally just to say, Hey, this is what happened last night. You know, here's the awesome scene that I had. Here's how I'm feeling today. And we'll, and we'll break it down. You know, we'll we'll get into the weeds about like, so how did the scene go? And you know, have you talked to the sub yet this morning? And what have what have they said back to you? Like, are you being ghosted? Are they happy? Like, you know, and we'll we'll kind of have that almost like a camaraderie. And I found totally. with with male dominance that doesn't seem to be the same. No, it's not actually that common. Um, I'm actually one of the few weird ones where I do talk about that sort of stuff, and um, especially if it's someone I've mentored where we've we've maintained a connection after I'm done and we've kind of gone our own way, even if it's just a little bit like I still will, you know, if they talk about it, I'll actually straight up just be like, so how'd it go? How do you feel about it? Et cetera. And uh-huh. I don't know a lot of them to do. And a lot of the Dom friends that I have don't open up like that. I don't even mention it. Half the time they don't even mention a scene other than to share like, Oh, I wailed on her. Here's some pics or which I get. Uh-huh. I get that part of it. Cause we all do, you know, we love showing off our work. But there's the other side of that that we just kind of brush under the rug. Okay, well, how do you feel about it? Was it successful? Did you feel like you could have done better? Like all those things that go with doing the best we can to be what we are in that responsible space, which is really what dominance is. We won't get into that entirely because that's definitely another episode that could go for myself. But 
in that space, there's so many small things that we take for granted or brush under the rug because they're not the part that looks macho for our role. And it's like, you're not there to be macho. It shows in your work if you're doing it right. What about the rest? Because damn no, we all know well, you're human. That's toxic. It is. It absolutely is. I think that's I think the part between is... us males that we tend to forget that we are still human. Mm-hmm. Absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with two guys actually sitting down with each other and this is what went down and this is how I'm feeling about it. I think it's normal. I think one of the the hangups too is people also equate drop with performance. Yes. And so it's like, if I didn't experience drop, clearly I had a bad scene because I didn't hit top space. And then they're like, well, I must not have hit top space because I'm not dropping. So I really didn't play that hard, you know? And it's, it's not true because you're not gonna you're not gonna drop after every single scene. That's I think that's actually kind of rare. That's not even yeah I. I think it doesn't, doesn't even have to be a heavy scene. You could have just went and tickled her ass with a feather, and three days later, all of a sudden, you hit massive drop yeah. out of nowhere. It could just be from buildup. It's Look all relative. Scenes. Yeah. Now that I fully agree with, because it's it, it, that is something that I will say in the the Dame space that you tend to see that every like there's that one upsmanship that starts happening. It's it's almost like trauma bonding, right? Yeah. Where like they start one upping each other and like here you know, here's how I played with my boy last night. Oh well here's what I did with my girl last night. And then it starts ratcheting up and so like I've had to be very careful that my go to's we don't do that. It literally is a when one of us says, Hey, this is how I'm feeling today, the conversation stops and all of us are like, Tell us how you feel. And so it's and then then we get to where it's now, are you okay with sharing what happened? And then it's, can I tell you about my night or are we still in the feels about your night? Like, we're all really good about checking in with each other that way. Um, and it's it's morphed to, like, you know, me moving across the country. So now it's all virtual, even when we have these right. check-ins. So it's usually over text. Um, but even locally, the couple of people that I have here that are my go-tos, like, obviously even within my house, um, I'm able to to vent about that stuff even to my slave, because she watches a lot of my scenes. And so when she gets to see me play, the next morning she'll always come up to me and say, how are we feeling? You know, is this, is this a good day or do you need an extra cup of coffee? Like, you know, what can I help you with? Which is great, because she's really good at picking up those cues faster than sometimes I recognize it in myself. So it's nice to have that, like, unbiased kind of third party that's watching you watch yourself. <laughs> No, 100% agreed. And I think, I, I think a lot of that also has to do with just societally how we have males raised in general. We're not going to get into that because that's a book by itself. And all of us know what I mean about that. But it's, uh-huh. you know, the nature of we're taught from an early age, don't show emotion, don't let anyone see you feel, you know, you don't talk about those things, suck it up, buttercup and deal with it, you know, deal with it on your own time, all of that. To think that that wouldn't bleed over even into a space where we're so much more about open, honest communication and emotion mm-hmm. is a, absolutely doing ourselves a disservice because, of course, it does. I didn't magically stop being a grown white male raised in America just because I'm a dominant who may interact oh. with dominance and other people across the globe. 
doesn't magically change how I was raised. I fought that. In my 20s, I fought it, thankfully, because I was brought to kink so early that I was allowed to think about it differently. And it's not that I'm magically expert at it now, but I know a lot of guys in our same generational group who didn't get that option. And it shows. And it's so unfortunate. Because to think that it doesn't influence what you do as a dominant is terribly wrong. Because it does become a case of, I I don't really want to share that. (laughs) But I think how we process drop and and just how we process what happens in a scene is, is going to make us want to push and educate more or Agreed. regress back away from it. Right. Cause like, I think we've all experienced those kind of scenes where you pushed past your own limit in a sense. Like you're like, Oh, I was curious about that. Let's see how it goes. And then the next day you're like, Holy shit. I didn't just push a limit. I kind of like jumped over my personal limit. Now, how do I feel about that? And I found people do like one of two things. Either they're like, hell yeah, I'm all in, keep pushing. Or they're going to, for a time period, revert back and go, yeah, so I'm not, I don't feel comfortable. I'm not confident dealing with that activity. So we're just not going to poke at that for a while. And you see them start to like retreat a little bit. And I always get nervous when I see my friends doing that because it's like, hold on, why are we retreating? Like what happened? You know, are you just, are you shocked at your own depravity or is it just a matter of, you know, your sadistic tendency is scared even yourself? Or are we talking about like legitimate drop and you can't process it? I've, I've talked more than one dominant out of, or processing through that particular space of, you know, they're, they're discovering their own sadism and what levels they're in. And they realize that it's darker, more depth than they thought it was. And yeah, it's an absolutely understandable thing that their moral compass kind of rubs up against it. Like, Hey, should I even feel this way? No, you're okay. (laughs) If you're healthy about it and recognize where it's okay and not okay. And this is where that whole, you know, moral compass is the difference about a sadist versus a psychopath. You know, it's very much a mentality focus. I enjoy the hell out of suffering of others. But at the same time, I don't actually wish the suffering of others in a general sense. There's a big difference. I don't actively want to go hurt people just because. That's a little different. Would I enjoy the hell out of watching it? Sure. (laughs) That's different. (laughs) But that's the point, and a lot of new dominants and new sadists come to that, and they're they're still figuring that part of themselves out, which is understandable because society's taught them not to even think about it, especially uh-huh. if they get older, like where we're at, and are you know upwards of thirty, where we're a little more societally trained by then, so you have a little more to rub against, and it absolutely will cause you some drop, and it's like, oh, maybe this is a little too far. Why should I feel this way? Or no, no, it's okay. Let's talk about it. And I think it's just as important to be proactively trying to be a better dom with your fellow doms as it is to be a better dom about vocalizing it for yourself. Because you can't do it in a vacuum. Like, it doesn't matter how good you want to share if nobody wants you to. It goes both ways. I would agree with that. You know, as in being either the top for the scene or being the dominant, how often do you actually share your drop? Moments of drop when you have them with either the bottom you were seizing, seizing the other night or with your submissive? All the time. That's a great question. I, for me, it's all the time, but it's an absolutely great question, and I don't think enough people do. 
I don't think enough tops do because again, there's yeah. still that, that sense of personal responsibility, right? Because you took charge of this other person. And I think there's this fallacy that by admitting that you're dropping and that you're having some feels, not even that they're negative feels, right? Just that you're having feels somehow is negative to your bottoms experience. And I don't think that that's true. I think you're actually, you can bond like, like for me, because I do play predominantly with uh, male presenting people. Um, I've actually had a lot of the guys tell me that the fact that I'm willing to share when I'm not okay, that they, they trust me more. Um, whereas I when that. I play with, with women, um, it becomes like more of like a bonding type of thing where yeah. they're like, Oh yeah, me too. So it's, it's like, like a sisterhood type of a thing. But definitely with, with the men that I've played with, I've, I've had more than one guy tell me that they felt more comfortable playing with me again, especially if it was our first time when I, when I share with them how I felt the day after. No, I can appreciate that. 100%. Of course, this is all about building trust. Is it not? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that makes sense to us, but to be fair, we're all, fairly active over two plus decades but i think younger people need to hear that too that it is an important part of the process is we don't talk about the intimacy of a scene just so that it's at the end of the scene you both go your separate ways and f it like this goes back to rolling into aftercare as well and the part of that is follow-up even if it's a hey can we talk for a minute and I don't think enough people in the pickup play end of the arena do any of that because of, like you said earlier, Knox, the the misnomer about how it affects whether or not you were performing right. And it shouldn't be about whether you're performing right. It's about how do you both feel about it. It's the connection that was built during the scene. It's not about how well it was performed. You could have, no matter what it was you were doing, you could have been crying while you were slapping the shit out of somebody, enjoying it thoroughly. Not about that at all. Right. about how you both felt. It's how you both perceived what was happening yourselves in your little bubble at that. Well, and I think it's important to remember that more often than not, drop doesn't happen because of a bad experience. More right. often than not, it happens because of an intensely good one. Uh-huh. <laughs> so if anything, you should be looking at it from another perspective. Like, you know, maybe you just, maybe you let loose on an impact session with someone who you're a regular partner with and you just went to town and you were just in it and you went to full top space and you lost yourself for a minute just in the glee of watching the the colors and everything else and you just ratcheted into it really tight. So in a couple of days, you just kind of hit that wall of, I really had an intense moment. That's not a bad thing at all. But we just associate it a certain way and we shouldn't, especially in the top end of things versus dominance. And I think even for submissives, like it, you know, or bottoms, because I use those interchangeably a lot. um, Right. I think it's very much the same. But I think kind of like what we said earlier, it, it. Drop is expected from the sub side. It's not always expected from the top side. I'll agree with that. You know? It's certainly because more surprising. It's, as well. right, it's, it it's like whenever we talk about aftercare, it's almost always focused on, you know, the bottom or the submissive. Like what kind of after, like every negotiation, right? What is the aftercare that you need? It's been very few and far between that I've had a submissive ask me, what kind of aftercare do you need? And usually it's the more experienced players that I've encountered yes. or they're, they're typically like more service oriented when they ask that. Mm-hmm. 
And it's, and it's really interesting because I even had, I had one of my long standing play partners was really great at saying very clearly, my aftercare can wait. Can I attend to you? I want to make sure yeah. that you're okay before I engage in aftercare, because then I can relax knowing that you're okay. And I was like, shouldn't that be the other way around? And he was like, no, because to me, it's an act of service. I'm continuing the scene by focusing on you. And so that when you tell me I'm, you're good and that, you know, you feel fine, then I get to actually relax and process. And I can, I can have my aftercare. And I was that's like, wow, thing, that's, that's unique. No, I'm totally One thing I've tried to integrate with aftercare is integrate my aftercare for me too aftercare I'm providing for either my sub or for the bottom. I can that into the negotiations as well, is that this is what I need throughout your aftercare for me. I integrate it through. There's certain things I will do through the aftercare that are for me. They benefit them as well, yet are for me. Why? No, I'm totally right. I think for me, it's a it's a big point, and it's something I've discovered over time, is there's a difference between a submissive, what I'm dealing with, aftercare and follow-up, and I've dealt with their drop, and then mine hits. And there's a difference between, I'm sorry you're going through that, versus can I help somehow? And I think mm-hmm. that's a huge one. And it's it's obviously far more prevalent for submissives and bottoms than it is for tops to follow up that way, and to remember that part, ironically enough. Because like, oh, I provided aftercare, drop is on them at that point or whatever. And it's like, no, no, no. This goes both ways always until it's actually seen through. This is why I'm I'm the person who will follow up like a week later if it's someone I pick up play with where I won't see them in a week. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, so how are you feeling now? And no, usually it doesn't last that long. But God forbid it hit them a little delayed or they just didn't have a chance to deal with it yet. Just having that extra extended arm of, hey, I'm still here if I can help. I don't want you to think you're doing this alone. I had a hand in this. I think that's just as important. Let's be fair. Life happens. So say you've seen with somebody a Friday night somewhere. Your life becomes extremely busy and they don't get a moment to slow down for a week and a half later. And all of a sudden drop. Agreed. Constant contact is a good thing. Constant communication is a good thing. Especially if it is somebody, if it was just a pickup, make that they are good until they are actually good. Both sides. Mm-hmm. I do want to move on to, you know, the, the other side of that, because we, we opened with the D-type end of things, and I definitely want to hit, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want some misses to think that just because we know they drop means that we don't talk about their drop. Uh, no. <laughs> Because it's no, you know, that's kind of the point, literally, is, you know, it's all about drop. And it Uh is very much a part of the process, at least for me, about, you know, following up with them. Because they definitely get a much larger range of drop experiences than we do. Because they have so many different experiences with drop and why it happens. Um, I mean, to be fair, the way you and I were both brought up in this, I'm sure you bottomed. Oh, absolutely. And I've experienced my own share of it, too. And I know Miss Knox has, too, because she also has started as a slave. Um, we've all started. Yeah, none of, us are, none of us well, are active bottoms. Bottom. Well, I still you, bottom you, on you occasion. It's, it's not definitely not as frequently as it used to be. I mean, it's a lot. I'll actually demo bottom more than I'll seen bottom. 
fair, but I mean, that doesn't mean you're not prone to drop even still. And I have had drop from, from demo bottoming because I think not, not to like completely hijack the train of thought, but no, not at all. When you're teaching, it's a completely different mindset and it's not it to me, it's equally as intense. Like, cause, you know, cause when you're, you're trying to bring home a, a topic, you know, to a group of people, you're, you're in it, you're focused. And I think that's the, the trick for me is that level of focus and it doesn't matter how it comes about. So I can, I absolutely have dropped from teaching. Well, I was um, going to say as someone who shares an educational kink, it couldn't be hard to say that technically speaking at that point, you're feeding a kink in such a way that you could have entered the equivalent of space. Mm-hmm. By feeding well, into what not, you enjoy. Are we all not sitting here right now feeding into our king for education? Certainly. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, absolutely. No. Education is a fetish. <laughs> I mean, I've, fetish. I have. My abs- apologies, but yes, you understand <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> it could be both. Don't judge. <laughs> no, hey, I, can get That's fine. no, I, would I don't want to just... go there because now I got hot for teachers stuck in my. <laughs> Talk I mean, to me, baby. That's a whole different discussion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I would only just as far as to say, like, it is in that case, like, even as a demo top, I have absolutely had drop afterwards because I was in it for the minute. You know, that's uh-huh. that's kind of the point of drop is you are in it for the minute, whether you're topping or bottoming. Uh-huh. It's just about how it f- how it takes its form afterwards, not about whether or not it can happen. Uh-huh. And, you know, people talk about the endorphins and the adrenaline, and we're we're going to talk about the physical aspects of drop as well here in a little bit. But as far as for the bottom end, I think the range is specifically because the intensity is based on a much larger range of things. You know, because for them, it's about the experience of what they're having done, as opposed to the, like we were saying, like the top end of it, where it's much more psychological. For them, it's more physical. So it mm-hmm. is a range of physical injury, physical beating, fire, cutting, you know, mm-hmm. suspension, whatever particulars it may be, you know, sensation deprivation, um, fear. Mm-hmm. And all of those take their own form. And I think they probably all produce their own version of drop or can anyway, depending on the person and where their limit points are. So you can take the psychological side of the sub because, you know, some pretty wicked fucks sent their heads yeah. spinning into space in ways that were imaginable. So they have a very heavy psychological side to it as well. Just on the different side of it, they're receiving nothing. Mm-hmm. No, I'll agree with that 100%. I mean, I, kn- I know when I was bottoming regularly, um, I do feel that my drop was more intense. But I think it's because you give yourself more permission to let go in a sense, whereas as a top or a dominant, I don't think we give ourselves permissions to let go. Not not in the same way, because we're all still very tightly controlled, even even in a scene, right? Agree. We're all wound tight. I don't know of any dominant that's not somewhat high strung. Um, <laughs> Type A all the way. As I sit here and raise my hand. <laughs> <laughs> mean like type a because i've met a lot of a lot of dominants that that aren't what i'll call a stereotypical alpha yeah they're they're quietly dominant and and those ones intrigue me more um those guys always intrigue me because it's like hmm either you're really secure you have high social anxiety which is it i could have both don't judge 
That's also true. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I, I make the joke about alphas, but I'm, I'm very much a type B over a type A all the way myself. So I understand 100%. See, and I'm not. I, I am like <laughs> so type A, it's kind of disgusting. Like, I actually have to check myself mentally be like okay now you're you're straying into crazy town with how how type a you're getting it doesn't help that i have ocd but i did notice like when i was a submissive and a slave both my drop was radically different than that as a dominant um and it would hit for days i mean i i remember after one session with uh my dominant who later became my husband um we had a scene we had played on a thursday I missed work Friday and I slept Friday into Saturday and then Sunday legit oh, thought yeah. I had the flu. You know, oh, absolutely. it wasn't really until Sunday night, like around eight, nine o'clock that I really started perking up back into myself. And I went to work Monday morning and we talked about it afterwards because it was kind of the first time I had ever dropped that heavy. And it was really interesting for him because he'd never had a submissive drop like that. And so he was like, wow, that was like really intense. And to be fair, the scene that we had was very intense for the two of us um, because it was very early into our relationship. And I do not identify as a masochist. Never have. I, I am like the least masochistic person. Like I can I can handle some things. I love a good flogging, a good spanking. It's hot. You know, I don't feel less domly for admitting that. But well, if anything, I think dominants are more psychologically masochistic than physically. <laughs> Are. <laughs> we want to admit it or not, we are all a little bit masochistic. Mm-hmm. It's just well, a question sure, of how. With... Yeah. Yeah. But that's, but that's what I mean is for us, it was a very intense scene. And, and he admitted later, and it wasn't initially like up front, but he admitted later that, you know, it was intense for him as well. And that he did experience a little bit of top drop, but he didn't really have a chance to fully explore it and dive into it because he was so worried about me and how I was feeling. Right. Absolutely. Right. Which submissive is devastating because now you're like shit I'm a burden you know yeah. oh shit I made I made it worse I'm not communicating effectively so I'm doing all of those things that they tell you not to do as a submissive oh I'm, I'm garbage and then you start spiraling because you don't want to talk about it because now you feel stupid you know and it's all that negative self-talk kicks in and he picked up on the fact that that was happening to me on that Sunday and that's why by Sunday night, he sat me down and was like, we're going to have dinner and we're going to talk about this. And I'm like, I'm not comfortable with that. And he's like, I'm not comfortable with you moping around the house. Huh. And I was like, oh, you know, fair. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> when you put it in common sense terms, sure. <laughs> How dare you make sense about this? <laughs> right. And then it was the, I'm going to tie you to a chair if you don't tell me what's happening. And I was kind of like. Wouldn't that make yeah, it worse? Threat- but I- I'm kidding. Well, but. you know, and I'm and I'm that type that I, I would pop off and say stuff like that. But I mean, it was right. but it took that for me to understand that my not talking about it and me getting deeper into my feels was actually affecting him as a top. Um, and so that was that was a very interesting time. And it wasn't it was probably about a year or so after that that I started experimenting with switching anyway, not with him, but just as, right. as a whole. Oh, no, totally. When I first started switching, my top drop was massive. It, it was sense, very though. massive. Like, literally, it would set in from, not initially when I would finish a scene, but definitely it would start setting in when I left the club that night. 
If I almost exclusively play publicly, I, I didn't do a lot of private play unless it was with a sexual partner. Um, and so, like, yeah, by the time I'd, I would be driving home and it would hit full force and I would just get super, super quiet. And he would always look at me like, hey, you're getting quiet. You want to talk about it? And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't know how to describe it yet. I'm still struggling with labeling. And so, you know, it would always take about an hour to drive home. And by the time we would get home, I would be slowly starting to talk about it and process it, putting labels on it so that I could explain it. And we would stay up and talk until I felt better. And then we would go to sleep. Yeah, that, makes but his, that was his thing is we got to talk about it before we fall asleep because I don't want you to wake up in a negative headspace. No, and I think that's a great example of the fact because you were a slave for several years before you actually experimented with both sides of the slash. Mm-hmm. So that that whole experience with butting up against the norm you were used to actually makes perfect sense with why drop was so hard when you first started dealing with the top end of it. Because mm-hmm. for you, it very much was that I'm coming to it from a different perspective. I mean, obviously, oh, I can't speak for everything you saw because you're you, but. Yeah, no, it, uh, that had a lot to do with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there was also the own, my own mental mindfuck of embracing the fact that I was switching, you know, because for the longest time in my journey in the lifestyle, that was not a possibility because of the partners that I had. It was never encouraged. Right. Um, and so I, when I entered in kink, it was as a submissive, I became a slave and I lived as a slave in a 24 seven TPE for years. Um, it was before I even knew what it was. You know, like I first contract until several years into that relationship, but we had been living in a full MS dynamic for years. So the contract was like, well, of course we, we should do this. <laughs> We're already doing it. You know, so <laughs> my first this makes 10, sense. 12 years in kink. It, it did. But my first 10 to 12 years in kink, I, I was on the right-hand side of the slash, you know. And so, so yeah, I... When I started topping, it started off educational. It was, hey, can you come over here and do a demo? I've got somebody that's interested in learning about this. And, you know, you're a safe player. You're experienced. Can you explain this to them? Sure. And then that morphed into, would you like to do a scene with me? And it was like, shit, that's a possibility? (laughs) It was very weird. No, totally. You know, and so... So I had that that whole mindfuck happening, and then to to hit that giddy, excited, because at the time I didn't know it was top space, right? but I was definitely getting that giddy, excited feeling, and then I would drop, and I'm like, why am I dropping? I just did a demo, you know, and so it's like, I felt like it was, to me, it felt stupid. I'm like, this is not what people talk about, and I don't want to take away from other people's experiences when they talk about drop, so I just didn't tell people that I was having that reaction. Huh. I didn't. I didn't tell anybody because it was like, I I felt like it was stupid. And I'm like, why am I having top drop after that little tiny activity? Like, it didn't make (laughs) sense to me. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, My very first demo. Just looking now is dumb. No, my very first demo, I very much had that problem where I very much had drop from it because it was, it was a knife play demo and it was, it involved, you know, it didn't involve cutting because it was a scene in a public space. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. But it very much was an intense sense session and I was teaching different aspects and I was very much into what I was doing and how I was showing others what I was doing. So two days later when I hit the, you know, when the bus hit me in the face, as it were, 
I was like, I don't mm-hmm. understand. I did a demo for 45 minutes. What? Uh-huh. But I also didn't understand yeah. at that point that education was one of my kinks the way I do now. Like I really didn't grasp that that was part of the reason was I was very much in my element. It didn't figure itself out until much later. Where I'm like, this is really something I'm into. And it wasn't the public display part of it. It was the teaching others how to enjoy themselves better with a lot less of the complications. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, now I know better, but <laughs> – <laughs> This is a thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but no, I think um, one of the things I definitely want to go over and we'll we'll cover all – let me cover all of them before we actually get into discussion on them because we could easily lose ourselves for way too long otherwise. Um, <laughs> but I know I've personally experienced a lot of these as far as with subdrop specifically and what I've seen happen. Um, in terms of symptoms and how it can look and all of that, because we we've talked about the D type side of it and how it can feel, but uh-huh. I know bottoms get that range, and I have literally seen a majority of these where it's things like you know fatigue is the obvious one, like we said already, depression, uh-huh. um, pessimism, hopelessness, the big one that everybody doesn't directly talk about, but we all recognize guilt, uh-huh. worthlessness or helplessness, like I didn't do enough or I wasn't good enough or they didn't like me enough, etc. Um, loss of interest in damn near everything, including in some cases even sex. Huh? Um, appetite loss is an obvious one. The ones that aren't so obvious, ironically enough, is that suicidal ideology happens for some. Yeah. If the drop is hard enough. Uh-huh. And that's a big one. That's a big yellow flag. Not yeah. in terms of them being a bad person or something to be negative about. But that's someone who experiences intense enough drop that they need to get better follow-up from the person topping them, in my uh-huh. opinion. Because that that clearly reads, reaches a level of intensity where someone needs to help make sure they come down softer, for lack of a better way to put it. And there's there's a variety of ways that can take. But you know what I mean in terms of that. It's I would not want someone to intensify so hard that they feel that taking their own life is the better option. Um, uh-huh. And that's, again, not about your performance as a top. It's just it's something that does happen. It doesn't happen a lot, but I've heard of it more than once. The other big ones for me is people who get physical <laughs> symptoms from drop, like real like aches and pains, headaches, cramps. Um, I knew one lady who I had as a demo bottom there for a couple of years in my early 20s. She would get digestive problems for a week after a really hard drop. Oh, yeah. I felt that so bad. So bad. I've had that. I've had that. Um, the other big one that I find immune, ironically enough, is irritability. Absolute irritability. And sometimes by itself. God, I thought it was just because I'm a bitch. No, no, sorry. It's not that simple. <laughs> Here goes my dominant archetype. God damn it, Dartex. <laughs> Giving away my secrets. Right. No, I I personally have had that one a few times where they're just snappy as hell. And that will be the only symptom sometimes, too. It's like, I don't understand why I'm like this. Especially for someone who normally isn't. And it's, it's almost right. amusing. Like, I've never, like, joked with them about it because I don't want them to ever think it's funny that way. But it's amusing in the retrospect. Like, you know what? That actually makes sense. Because uh, <laughs> it's opposite of what they normally would do anyway. Um, uh-huh. 
the other one that I find ironically enough is not talked about as much or commonplace as people think is concentration, specifically remembering details and decision making. Which already Correct sounds like something, some, you know, especially considering submissives already usually have trouble with that particular arena. Not all of them, but many of them, um, which is the whole thing with, you know, dynamics and everything. But I find uh-huh. it ironic that they actually feel a more intense form of it sometimes as a form of drop where they literally uh-huh. can't decide on anything. Anything. How do you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> But how? Which which side? Which side do you use to spread the peanut butter with? Yeah. I mean, it sounds silly, and it really does sound amusing, and it it is in its own form. But when you're dealing with not. it, you have a sub where it's happening. It really isn't. Yeah, it's a little more unfortunate. Of I need to make sure I take care of this because they're they're so incapable in that moment, and it really isn't their fault. Obviously, it's not something they controlled. Technically, it's your fault if you want to be absolutely in the technicals about it. Pick bare bones. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's it's interesting how many different forms of severity drop can take, and I don't think enough people realize that it can take so many more forms than just I don't feel good right now. <laughs> well, or I just want to sleep. Just days. because, well, yeah, but just because you experience drop in one way one weekend doesn't mean like it's not going to hit you in a completely different way the next time you play. Also, because you may like because I've had I've had that personally where you. Kick-ass scene. Everything goes great. It's definitely not because anything went wrong or bad or sideways. And just the next day, you start feeling run down. I've had gastrointestinal upset, which is not pleasant. And then it morphs into, you know, um, it morphs into a headache and then morphs into just feeling kind of nauseous and lazy and blah. And then the next time I'll experience drop and... It is that disinterest. It's I feel I feel mostly fine, just a little run down, but I'm just not interested in doing jack shit. And so sitting in a chair for six hours fucking off online was just as therapeutic and and centering for me as getting out in the open and going running the week before was after you know, the physical drain. Right? Like it's it really is not specific and it's definitely not specific to the type of play for me oh it definitely for some people i know for some people it's very play specific like i've met i've met some submissives that um after heavy impact they like to recuperate one way because their drop is a specific way and then i've met um you know that same submissive after a different kind of scene where it was more like psychological or objectification um, and so their drop hit them completely different. And it was just based really on their headspace and how they entered the scene and the headspace when they came out of it. I'll agree with that. I've seen that a few times too, where it's, mm-hmm. it, it takes different forms based on, it doesn't happen to everybody that way, but it definitely has people where they follow a pattern that is absolutely happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I saved for last for a reason, I think it's the one that goes under the radar so hard because it's not the same as many of the others. Um, some have nicknamed it the guilts, but it's best known as paraphilic drop. Mm, yeah. And that's a very specific thing. Um, and I find it amusing and it's uh, amusing is the wrong word. I find it fascinating mm. because whereas all these other drop forms are, have so much negative connotation to it. Mm. Whereas paraphilic drop usually is a super intense sexual arousal. 
followed mm-hmm. by an intense level of guilt about why. And both of those things are unfortunate to me because it's, as far as I'm concerned, the paraphilic form is just another form of drop to me. I think it should be treated equally with everybody else. And I certainly don't think anyone should feel remotely like there's something wrong with them because it happens that way. The whole nature of what we do, like literally the nature of BDSM and kink, is exploring sexuality and sexual freedoms and what makes us tick. Uh It should not be ever considered abnormal for someone to suddenly find that a scene was so intense that they become sexually hyper-focused. Like, why would that not be a normal thing? I mean, maybe that's just my particular perspective after looking at it for so many years, but for someone to get intense arousal from whatever happened makes sense to me. Uh It doesn't matter how mild the scene is. And I've seen people who have super mild scenes have this happen, where they just absolutely need to screw the hell out of somebody as part of their aftercare. Because it really but is. But that's their because form of it's drama. a true fetish, right? Exactly. That's the thing. That's and it's the healthy. definition of true fetish. It is. It is healthy. Um, and I think, but I think, what you're talking about is is they're they're conflating guilt and shame with that specific activity, right. and I think that's that contributes to it too. Because there's, I call it buyer's remorse. It's when you wake up the next morning and you're like, holy shit, I did that. Holy shit. Should I have done that? that. I should have done that. I shouldn't have done that. Damn, I really liked it. Oh, my God, I liked it. What's wrong with me for liking it? Yeah. Right. Right. And then you start feeling, you know, dirty, guilty, like all of those negative things. And then you realize it's because it's not uncommon even going through that stage that you get aroused again because you're thinking about what you did yeah because you were aroused by it the night before and you're like oh holy shit i want to bang again and then you feel bad about (laughs) it all over again too yeah and so it becomes like this weird loop no it does it can i Mm -hmm. uh i had a a pickup partner in my you know towards my late 20s before i left florida who uh, long before i got married who absolutely would go through a cycle loop for like three or four days afterwards where at the time I wasn't with anybody else anyway, so it worked out because I would basically be shacked up with her in her house for the next three days <laughs> just because I wanted to be there in case it turned into something else. If it morphed into a more severe issue in the process, which is, you know, because she would absolutely feel these terrible guilt to sensation. She was relatively new to kink, which is probably part of why it was so much more intense. But it would absolutely go through the cycle and she'd feel terrible about it. And why do I feel like this? What's wrong with me? And then thinking about it would make her turn right into the paraphilia all over again. And it would just become this back and forth. And I would be, I wouldn't necessarily just feed it. I would make it a point to sit down with her and spend time with her in normal everyday stuff mm-hmm. and get her feeling normalized and reassure her that the guilt is not reasonable that it is okay to feel this way that there's nothing wrong with being hyper about it and it's just okay it's just as okay to feel that guilt you cannot deny the emotion that it is when it is there it's about recognizing it and letting it ride through you and pass out the other side not get caught up and bunched in instead and hold you down because of course it's that we as a especially in western culture we have so many taboos and hang-ups about anything sexual so it is very True. natural to have guilty feelings come up, even if you don't feel that way yourself anymore. Like uh-huh. some subconscious part of you still remembers when your mom said, don't do that because it's not appropriate. 
or, you know, you don't do that because, or when your dad teaches you, you don't do that with other people or whatever it might be. The thousand different taboos and things we've learned are hangups in the Western world. Not to say we're the only ones that have them. It's just the ones we recognize the easiest to speak about here. You know, everybody's particular cultural taboos are theirs, and there's nothing wrong with any of them that way. But of course you're going to feel a certain level of guilt butting up against them, especially when it's new, when you're still not used to it yet. Because some part of you remembers being told this isn't okay. And you do, I think, need somebody to help you walk through that path sometimes. To Mm -hmm. remember that, no, no, this is a very normal part of your personal sexual journey. And you need to learn to recognize that there is nothing wrong with that, regardless of how it looks, if it's ethical and safe. And you should never feel like there's something wrong with you for it. And it's freeing. It's absolutely freeing for someone to come out the other side of that and realize that that is what they are. and They can begin the rest of their journey in earnest. I agree with that. But again, it comes down to basic communication. It does. It absolutely does. So to round out the other side of this, the other part I definitely want to talk about, at the very least, is treatment. Because aftercare is the obvious part. You know, follow-up and conversation is the obvious part that we've talked about already, too. But I'm curious about what you two have done or heard of or tried with other people in terms of treatment for a drop. Besides the obvious, eat something, hydrate, talk about it. I had one once. She uh, she like, literally crawled into bed and stayed there for three days. All I would text, I would see how she was, how she was doing, you know, basically get brushed off. And she'd basically gone into a depression cycle and stayed there. So quite literally out of bed, into the shower, go out for a movie and a walk. All of a sudden she went, oh, hey, look, I feel better. Mm-hmm. So um, your whole I want to stay in bed and just ride my drop doesn't work, does it? <laughs> no. no. No, it's not something you just ride out, unfortunately. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, it shouldn't. I've seen mild drop work that way to a point, but even then it worked that way because there was someone following up with them and it was mild enough that that was enough. Um, see for see for me it was a, it's always been a matter of let's get up get moving and get into the sunshine that's there, there is something therapeutic about sunlight and i and you know I, that's pretty standard common knowledge but to be able to talk to somebody and say hey listen let's let's go do so, even if it's just sitting on a sunny rock somewhere right let's just sit there and then let the dialogue happen organically because I found in, in, in situations like that, that's usually when people start talking. They're more comfortable. They're more relaxed, laid back. Hardest part is getting them up and out of the house. <laughs> Very true. It is. I mean, so, I mean, if if that's an option, if, if it's one of those situations where getting up and leaving the house and going outside is not an option, um, cleaning has always been my go-to. Cooking <laughs> would be that. the other. Yeah, well, because cleaning is... Yeah, because it's movement, you know, yeah. and, and it's not necessarily working out because to, to to tell somebody, hey, let's let's go run on the treadmill. I'm fucking mm. lazy. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to ask you to do that. You know, whereas going for a walk together is not as bad. Or even if it's just, hey, let's go walk around a mall and window shop or, 
something stupid like that, innocuous behavior. But no, if but it's I'll... in the house because you can't go someplace, I will. Right. It's it's like, here, can you help me hang the shelf or can you help me do this? And you just naturally start talking as you're moving around. You know, cooking is always a great thing. That's I'll I think most that. most people can bond over cooking. Even if they're not the ones helping you cook, they're just in the kitchen with you. No, you just naturally start talking. And I find that doing those kind of activities doesn't make the person feel like they're on the spot, like you're interrogating them. (laughs) So it's like, hey, let's talk and really drill down to how you're feeling. And, you know, are you okay with everything that we did? Is there anything that, you know, you're not happy about is, you know, are you having buyer's remorse this morning? Let's talk about that. You know, and that way it's not judgmental and it's not accusatory. It's very neutral. It's it's outside of whatever dynamic you have, you know. And no, I think I'll that's healthy. That. You need to have those downtimes. Well, and I think a lot of that awesome. falls under the same kind of umbrella, which, you know, whether it's exercise or cooking or just taking a walk, it's you're still getting up and doing something. Whether you want to or not at the time that you start. It's whatever form it may take. Maybe you're into yoga. Maybe you like reading. Maybe you like journaling. Do something with yourself instead of just sitting there in bed doing nothing. Uh And I think that's a huge one. And to be fair, there's some science to that, too. And it's part of the reason I was bringing up treatment in the first place. Like going out in the sunshine is a very common, well-known, you know, answer to drop. But there's a science to that, too. And it's vitamin D that you get from the sunshine Uh really does help when you're dropping. You know, it's it's the side of it we don't think about, but it absolutely has an effect, and there is a reason it has an effect. It's not just, oh, it's pretty because it's bright. Right. Um, I've heard of people that will take fish oil and vitamin B supplements when they drop for the same reasons. Because it absolutely hits their energy plateau differently, and it helps them, you know, keep up when they're dropping down so they're not as far, even if it just mitigates how severe it is. Um. You know, hydration and eating, like we've said before, the obvious ones. But also with mm-hmm. that goes the other side of that. And it's something we as, as experienced dominants are familiar with and we talk to others about is not being intoxicated when playing in any capacity, being under the influence whenever possible. Specifically, you know, it doesn't matter what form of substance it is. And it's not that I don't say you can't do those things, but I would not recommend doing them when playing with someone, especially a new partner. Because it absolutely can cause you to drop far more severely than if you don't. And that's Mm -hmm. a big reason by itself, aside from the obvious impairments and judgments and everything else, which is the primary reason we talk about it. It absolutely has an effect on drop, too. Um, Definitely. For the same reasons antacids work, for those that have (laughs) a variety of tummy and other physical ailments, you know. You said tummy. That was cute. Yeah, well, I do have kids. I mean... (laughs) I say tummy more than I say stomach more often than not in a day. Uh, <laughs> um, chocolate is another one that, once again, sounds like an aftercare routine that would be oh, obvious. That's a legit thing. It is, though. That's a straight-up legit thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's the same thing like sunshine. Like, you know, we consider it part of natural aftercare for a lot of people, but there really mm-hmm. is a reason. And a lot of it has to do with the oxytocin levels involved. Yeah. It absolutely mitigates that. And it's, it sounds like something like we don't really need to worry about it. People love chocolate. But it's it's a case where even if it's someone who's not normally a chocolate hound and they're dropping really hard, getting them to eat just like a single piece of, you know, bar chocolate, something basic, preferably dark because it's the cocoa you want. You don't want the sweetness. It's not about the mm-hmm. processed sugar. It's the chocolate itself, the cocoa. 
And it's the oxytocin in it that brings you back out. And that it is a form of treatment. Like if you're dealing with a partner who's bottom dropping like hard and they're not normally someone whose aftercare includes chocolate, give them a little bit of chocolate. As silly as it sounds, get them out in the uh-huh. sunshine, you know, hand them something that's got some vitamin B in it. Yeah. You know, there's more than one way to provide aftercare. And sometimes it's not as simple as just snuggling up or having sex or getting them to eat and drink. It can be a little more scientific. Uh-huh. And you don't have to become a scientist to be a top, God knows. But it doesn't hurt to remember those things because they do help. And keeping them uh, in the back of your head sometimes, I think, helps. Just having them as a part of your it's, toolkit. It's, but it's more than that. Like you, To me, part of risk-aware consensual kink and being a responsible anything in this lifestyle, you have to educate yourself. Agreed. And if, you, if, you, don't, if you don't educate yourself and keep learning, don't – you know, don't just read read a couple of articles and be like, oh, I got this. Like, even now, I've got 20 years in this lifestyle, and I still read articles aimed at new people because things change. Yeah, oh, techniques change. Theories change, you know. Like, you know, yes, people understand serotonin, oxytocin, that kind of stuff, but people don't understand the impact. Right. And, like, when I, when I came into kink— you know, it was it was absolutely drilled into you to be responsible. You know, you you had to know all of these terms, all the terminology, right? And in the damn near twenty years I've been in kink, that's evolved. The terminology has evolved, and I catch myself sometimes hearing something, and I'm like, oh, what is that? And then I start reading up on it, and I'm like, oh, I actually know what this is. Neat. Let's see what this theory is about. You know, and I think that makes everybody better. You have to, you just have to keep exploring. Otherwise, you're like a weird little mushroom in the dark, and it's sad. <laughs> That's a description, but... <laughs> it's true. If we can't evolve with the lifestyle that we live in, well, this lifestyle evolves daily. No, to I be able agree to evolve that. physically and emotionally, communicatively, to be able to pay attention to yourself and others and understand where you are, because it changes daily. Nothing, nothing remains the same every day. Right. No, I agree with that. I mean, it's it's the little things like that that people do take for granted, though. It's, you know, uh, people have heard me make the joke about if you've read BDSM Wiki before, and don't get me wrong, <laughs> it is not what I would recommend as your first primary source of information. But for those no. that don't have access to regular information, it's mm-hmm. at least a starting point that's better than nothing. And I do not say that lightly because it at it's least gives something. And while, yes, it is a wiki, and yes, it is, you know, freeform edited by people with perspectives and opinions, there's some good data in there. There really is. You know, no, I wouldn't recommend leaning off of that forever. I would definitely go and figure out ways to get better tools. But for those that don't even have, like, a hammer and screwdriver, so to speak, in the equivalency in kink yet, it gives you something to start with that has something. Like, there is an article section on Drop there that lists, like, treatments and forms, and it even talks about paraphilia. Not very Uh in detail, but it's there. It's better than not having it. You know what I mean? That's true. As opposed to not having it at all. And again, it's not that I suggest it as your primary source of information, but if it's what you got to start with, it's better than not having anything. And that goes back to needing more and always evolving 
yeah, now I wouldn't rely on it because I know the places I need to go to get the tools I need for this, that, and the other and to learn more. Right. But I'm glad it exists for those that didn't have that. Not everyone had the luxury of growing, you know, I grew up with a leather household in my, you know, through my adulthood. Not everyone has that option. Not everyone was raised with a mentor or a family or even just, you know, we like to make the joke about being OG, so to speak, um, especially because we're more leather (laughs) mentality. And, you know, that was far more prevalent when we were young enough for that to matter. But leather is far more concerned with educating theirs than a lot of others are. So we have a a luxury that not everybody got. Mm -hmm. And I don't think enough people realize that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, part of the reason we are the pay it forward type that we are when it comes to education, I really do think a large part of that is the fact that we came from a leather perspective. Because a lot of other, you know, not to say that like rubber families or latex families don't have their own places and their own formats, but I think they're more focused on the fetish and less focused on the overall knowledge base. More often than not. And there's nothing wrong with that, as we've talked about numerous times. Your kink is your kink and go for it. Yeah, but I think that's normal because anytime you come into anything BDSM, it's because of a specific thing that gets your rocks off and gets you going. That's what brought you into it. So I think for people to hyper-focus on that is completely normal. It's, it's What I've seen is the hiccup of trying to integrate that into like, a full activity and not just one quick and dirty thing. You know what I mean? And by quick and dirty, I don't mean dirty as in, Oh, that's gross. I mean, dirty as in like that, that fast, hard wham, bam, you're done. No. And that, that actually touches on like, um, I won't read it word for word, but what Woody brought up in the uh, chalkboard about, Uh you know, his Dom drop and his related to, you know, to cover both bases for him and his partner especially if it was intense is he will make it a point to cook breakfast the next day. And that helps his mitigating drop too. And routines like that are a great example of what to do to follow up. And it's not just an aftercare thing at that point. It is mitigation because it brings you back both to a center point that should be every Uh day. And I think that's a great way to do it. And it is a really sweet example as well. But he also makes a point to comment on, you know, as, as someone who is a parent and, you know, deals with everyday other parts of life, like we all do, Sometimes a wrench goes in that process and yeah, that wrench can absolutely kind of mess up your routine uh-huh. and that can change your drop level from mitigated to full, stri- you know, full spectrum drop or even a more severe abyss drop. Um, and I think that's an important thing is we also should always, you know, this is an aftercare and we'll, we'll talk about aftercare at least to some extent another time. But I think aftercare and its forms and drop management and its forms should always have a contingency. I don't care if you have a routine aftercare package that works for you every time and all of this great stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad you figured that out for yourself and what always works. Uh Always have a backup plan. Always have a contingency. It's not always the case. What if that doesn't work? What if you're doing pickup play with someone who doesn't respond or doesn't return your calls? And no, that's not a great thing, and ideally you'll pick up the yellow flags that go with that and never play with them again, or whatever the case may be, depending on how you've negotiated. Uh-huh. But that means you can't rely on that follow-up the way you normally would. You need to still deal with your drop, regardless of the other person's plug-in point or whatever your routine takes. Have something prepared as a backup that will always work at a fail-safe. 
even if it's a forced fail safe, like you have to get up and go out and do X, Y, Z. And maybe you don't like it, but you know it works. Maybe it works because you don't like it. Um, <laughs> and I've had those, as a matter of fact. I've had drop cases where I've literally gone for a drive and I didn't want to do it, but it helped. So I don't mm-hmm. care that I didn't like it. In fact, didn't liking it is part of what made me start thinking about it better. Well, see, and I Told want to you. circle back to something you just said, because you made the comment about what if, and, and top or bottom, it's regardless of that, um, the person you played with doesn't respond back to you. You know, that's that's a very real thing, too, especially if you're yes. playing in, in the club scene or doing pickup play, right? It's a very real thing that the person, like, maybe you didn't get a chance to exchange numbers the night before, or they're not answering your FET message, whatever, Um and you start feeling like you're being ghosted, whether or not that's the reality, you know, and how that can absolutely intensify someone's drop, yes. especially if they are having negative emotions. Um, I think, I think that's, to me, that would be an irresponsible partner. Um, just bare bones, even like, how hard is it to send a message? Hey, had fun last night. All is good. I'm just doing my own kind of self-care. I'll check in with you when I'm more verbal. Cool. Thanks. I appreciate that. Now I don't have to sit here and freak out and think that you hate me or I'm a horrible person, you know, and it's completely doesn't matter what side of the, the equation you're on, right? Being ghosted, I think is what's detrimental because that's going to be someone that I'm probably not going to play with again, Agreed. regardless of how it went, you know, it could have been the best scene ever, but if you're not willing to communicate with me afterwards and do a Mm check-in, You know, to me, that's not aftercare. That's just bare bones communication. And if that's too much for you, that's not in my risk profile. (laughs) Well, and we've we covered vetting with, you know, our our Uh consent to vetting episode, but it doesn't change the fact that I am 100 percent agreement. Like and it's like what he just said in response to what I was saying earlier. I do not pick up play with the same intensity. You know, in my 20s, I was a little more inclined to just pick up play with whoever and have fun with it. Nowadays, Uh I do not pick up play with someone and have the same intensity with that person the first couple of times out when I don't know if that'll be the only time. I just don't. I refuse to put myself at that level when I don't know what will happen after. Now, if it becomes episode three, episode four, episode five, and we've been talking and it follows through, well, that changes into a more regular play partner. And obviously that's different than pickup play at that point. But for for my very first negotiation with someone with a pickup scene, where I don't know the person before that, other than by a little bit of vetting with each other, mm-hmm. I am absolutely careful with how deep I'm going to go. And I usually tell them that up front, just so that they understand, like, this is not going to be super intense at first, because we don't know each other yet. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to tell them that I'm expecting them to ghost me, because that's both unfair, it sets up a situation where they're already pre-inclined to think you're not going to think highly of them. And we won't get into that, but it's not something you want to do to someone. But I am not going to play at the same level and put myself in a position to hurt myself with an unreliable variable. That's not fair to me or to that other person at that point, really. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate that that's, it's, you know, I hate using ghosting as the example, but it's a great one because it's not just a kink thing. That is a, universally terrible yellow flag in the dating and social connection scene in general that's become prevalent and it's it's not something i want to get into in detail but it sucks and it's stupid and it's toxic as hell Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I'm all for appreciating if someone is so vilely toxic that you have to force yourself to walk from them. 100% understand that, and there's nothing wrong with that, ever. But <laughs> that is not the same as ghosting someone to me. No. Those are two different things. I'd agree with that. And it's, it's not the same. If you ghost people just because it's easy for you, the problem is not the other person. If you ghost someone because it's the only option you have left for yourself, that's different. At least to me. I don't know. It screams attachment disorder to me. <laughs> right? Well, that's I think, true, I think but... if you're to, that, you're to that point where you're going to ghost them, <laughs> you should sit down with them. That conversation is to, hey, this is where I am. I'm ready to cease all communication with you. This is how I am feeling about the situation. It may be hard, and it may be a terrible conversation to have to have with somebody. This all then tells back to the solid foundation of what it is that we do. Communication. Ghosting somebody mm -hmm. is a massive, massive lack in communication. It no, doesn't matter on that level. If the other person cannot understand where you're coming from at that point, at least you kept your side of the street clean. Responsible and accountable to yourself. And I to mean, this point, this is what I am doing. Simple. I usually just equate it back to the days when I did anything remotely like dating via texting. And, you know, I, I miss the swipe culture days. And I think I'm very grateful for that, honestly. Um, <laughs> fuck all of that. And a bag of dicks. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the way I used to treat things, and I always told people that I expected the same back, is... If you reach the point where you're just not interested in each other and you stop talking, then you stop talking. And no, that's not great, but that's at least honest communication of, okay, obviously the conversation died and that's that. Or I don't want to talk to you anymore. Okay. That's just a simple, it's just a and simple sit down and be like, this is where I am. Hint at that point, and you block them because they don't take a hint, that to me is mm -hmm. perfectly valid and not the same as ghosting someone. Because you have tried to be a civil grown-up with each other. And if the other person is not meeting you at the level of maturity you should expect as a communicating adult, then yeah, if you need to block them to shut them up, that's different. Because that's you that set your boundaries. not letting it go. Mm -hmm. You set After your boundaries and you set them clear. Right. Exactly. If I have done everything in my power to be a concise, communicating adult and I have made it clear how I feel, or don't feel, you're allowed to feel the way you feel about it. Like you're, It's not like you're not allowed to be upset if it's something that bothers you. Sure. But you still are expected to be a grown-up in return. And it's a allowed to feel fact. my feelings. But we're, still, mm -hmm. we're allowed to feel our feelings, and you're still you supposed just, to affect everybody else's feelings as well. That's how exactly. they feel. This is how I feel. They don't combine. That's not well, the problem. It's yours. You it's, need to fix it. Your not feelings them. are not their responsibility. Exactly. You know, they cannot help how you feel about something. Now, obviously, yeah, when you get into something more intimate, that becomes a bit more complicated and is more involved and cross-sectioned. But for someone you're just talking to at a nominal level because you haven't even met yet or haven't even gotten past the first date stage or the equivalent or whatever <laughs> your particular form view of it is, coffee dating, they are not responsible for your business. You are, whether you like it or not. You are still supposed to be a grown-up dealing with another grown-up. That is your issues to go. It's like we say in Polly about you police your own shit. And you do. And it's not because the other person can't be supportive if they're into that and your partners and all of that. There's nothing wrong with being supportive, but that's not the same as you still have to handle your own bullshit. It is not mm -hmm. someone else's job to coddle your feelings. 
It is your job to coddle your feelings. And if that means you have to stop acting an ass and be a grown-up and put on your big boy pants and go deal with it and have your tantrum alone, go do it. Okay? I don't care if you feel like you need to be spiteful for a minute. You know what? We're all grown-ups. We're all human. We have our moments. Mine happened to involve slaughtering innocents in a video game to take out my particular angers. If I'm just feeling spiteful and I know it's unhealthy, I'll go find a way to cope with it that doesn't involve making other people feel bad. Because it's not their job to mitigate how I feel. It's mine. I'm allowed to not feel good about it. <laughs> it isn't their job to take care of it. And I think that's you the have part to own that your own shit. Exactly. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Own your own shit. That's and take responsibility for it. I mean, that's your feelings are your feelings. They're not right or wrong, right? They're they're just there. And so that's owning it and embracing that you have those feels for whatever reason. And understanding where they come from, I think, is what lets people progress through that in a healthy way. It's when they, they don't do that and they get stuck. You know, and that's, and that's the thing. Getting, getting stuck to me is where things are not good. No, I agree with that 100%. Um, okay. So to come back full circle so we can wrap up for ourselves, any final thoughts about drops specifically that we may have missed or something you want to make sure that people understand clearly after everything? I think for me, just making sure that people understand that drop is common. It's normal. It doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. Understanding that the feelings of intensity doesn't dictate how well you performed. You know, trying to equate your drop to performance is toxic. Trying to compare your drop to someone else's is toxic. It's yours. It's unique to you. And whatever activity helps you get through that is healthy. It's positive. You know, as long as you're not doing some kind of negative self-harm or something that's toxic, you know, and when you're having the feelings that it might go toxic and go that way, reaching out to somebody and having, having some kind of support system when you know that these times happen is important. And often it needs to be your play partner. They need to know how, how your play affected you um, because you may find out that that person's feeling the exact same way, you know? And so that, that level of communication, I mean, we preach about communication and kink all the time, but I think when you're talking about drop, that's one of those critical times where communication is key. I'll and absolutely that's, agree with that. I, I will harp on that literally every <laughs> fucking episode because communication, it's the one thing we all fuck up and it's the one thing we're all dependent on. You know, people suck as communicators. Even when we're proud about being high communicators, we typically have shortcomings with it, depending on the partner. And so, yeah, I think I think when it comes to, comes to drop specifically, being able to address what it is, identify it, label it, and then process it in a healthy manner with support, that's going to be what keeps you in the scene longer. And that's what will keep kink being positive. Because kink to me should never be negative to anybody. If you ever do anything in this lifestyle and you find it to be negative, you need to do some examination because kink is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fulfilling. Agreed. And when it stops being fun and fulfilling, that's when people drift away. And I hate watching that happen. No, I'll I'm never going to leave kink. I've tried. I keep coming back. No, nope. I learned that the hard way myself. I will never not be yeah. a kinkster the rest of my life. It's just not possible. Our bodies and our blood never go up the same way communicate 
Mm-hmm. Just a couple times communicate. Hard to talk. That's when you should talk. Agreed. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to wrap up my thoughts before after answering this one last thing from Woody, which was an absolutely great yeah. question. And it's, it is. Do you see a, a difference between a level of drop from good scenes versus bad scenes, and how do you handle that? I will I've only, seen a difference. I do see a difference. I've seen that that doesn't always change what kind of drop it is. Or rather, yeah. I should say that it doesn't affect it doesn't affect what kind of drop it can take. It certainly can affect the intensity, though, and I'll agree with that one hundred percent. Symptoms may be the same, but it hits different. If uh-huh. and this is something where you just kind of ha- this is where aftercare and follow up matter because if you're in an intense scene and you don't realize it's as intense for them as it is for you, for regardless of the reason, and this you know unfortunately goes back to communication and being good communicators. But if for whatever reason, mis- you know, communication drops, if there's an error in, you know, the cabling, so to speak, and you don't realize they're more intense or you're more intense, or maybe they called red light because they hit a trigger or whatever it may be, even if it's something you aren't aware of till afterwards, this is where follow up matters. And this is why handling it matters by following up with aftercare. Now, obviously, we've negotiated that there is no aftercare that is between you and I can't help you there. But for the few of us that don't operate that way, um, (laughs) follow up with aftercare, which should already include some kind of conversation, not just intimacy, at least in my opinion. But just as importantly, following up post aftercare, especially if it's clear that there was a problem, even if it's not a problem you caused directly, because it could be as simple as it triggered a trauma response from them about something else. Mm -hmm. And that can happen, and that is beyond your control any more than it's something they realize that it happens sometimes even until it's too late. That doesn't change follow-up, because following up is what will help that. Even if they're not comfortable opening up about what the trigger was, because whether it's pickup play, you're not as comfortable with each other yet, whatever the case may be, just being there, just allowing them the realization that someone is willing to help them through it, can make a huge difference in whether or not they do. Mm-hmm. Because it's not about if you can fix it. It's about being willing to show that you will. If they let you. Because they may not be comfortable enough for that. But recognizing that you would, if they let you, can make all the difference in their headspace. And that's an important thing to take away and remember. Um, final thoughts with Jack Candy. <laughs> <laughs> start calling it final thoughts with salt father just to call it what it is and move on yeah, there you go um i, I will like wrap one. up my usual wrapper of you know for those that are listening whether it's currently or via podcast later after it goes out into the ether in the internet whether you're a server member whether you're not a server member which you know if you haven't seen our server yet and you are hearing this come join us and it's the same thing i was going to say about the rest of it anyway if you have a question please ask me send me an email Send me a server message. I listen for a reason. I answer questions by choice. I am always available for education by choice. This is not something I just do once a week or every couple of weeks. I am always open to talking about kink if it means helping someone else learn something or move on and evolve with their journey. Reach out to me. DM me. Ask me. Absolutely. 
if you don't even know where the server is, um, you can find enough of us on FetLife, and my links are on there, the server's links are on there too. If not, shoot me a message some way, and I'll get you that invite as well. That said, enjoy yourselves, be kinky, be fuckery, and have fun with it. Yeah! Take care. <laughs>